0: Hello and welcome to Queen V, The Life of Queen Victoria. My name is Donnie Hazel and I am your host. If you wish to support this podcast, there will be a link provided for you in the show details and it will be very much appreciated as it goes to help support the cost of maintaining the podcast and our website. With that said, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Queen V, The Life of of queen victoria letter one of letters from england 1846 to 1849 by elizabeth davis bancroft read for librivox.org into the public domain letter to wdb and ab liverpool october 26 1846 my dear sons thank god with me that we are once more on terra firma We arrived yesterday morning at ten o'clock, after a very rough voyage, and after riding all night in the Channel in a tremendous gale, so bad that no pilot could reach us to bring us in on Saturday evening. A record of a sea voyage will be only interesting to you who love me, but I must give it to you, that you may know what to expect if you ever undertake it. But first I must sum it all up by saying that of all horrors, of all physical miseries, tortures, and distresses, a sea voyage is the greatest. The Liverpool paper this morning, after announcing our arrival, says, The great Western, notwithstanding she encountered throughout a series of most severe gales, accomplished the passage in sixteen days and twelve hours. To begin at the moment I left New York, I was so absorbed by the pain of parting from you that I was in a state of complete apathy with regard to all about me. I did not sentimentalize about the receding shores of my country— I hardly looked at them, indeed. Friday I was awoke in the middle of the night by the roaring of the wind and sea, and such motion of the vessel. The gale lasted all Saturday and Sunday, strong from the north, and as we were in the region where the waters of the Bay of Fundy run out and meet those of the Gulf of St. Lawrence, afterwards we had a strong cross-sea. Oh, how I wish it had pleased God to plant some little islands as resting-places in the great waste of waters! some resting-station. But no, we must keep on, on, with everything in motion that your eye could rest on. Everything tumbling about. We lived through it, however, and the sun of Sunday morn rose clear and bright. A pilot got on board about seven, and at ten we were in Liverpool. We are at the Adelphi. Before I had taken off my bonnet, Mr. Richard Rathbun, one of the wealthiest merchants here, called to invite us to dine the next day. Mrs. Richard Rathbun has written that beautiful diary of Lady Willoughby, and, what is more, they say it is a perfect reflect of her own lovely life and character. When she published the book no one knew of it but her husband, not even her brothers and sisters, and, of course, she constantly heard speculations as to the authenticity of the book, and was often appealed to for her opinion. She is very unpretending and sweet in her manners, talks little, and seems not at all like a literary lady." I like these people in Liverpool. They seem to me to think less of fashion and more of substantial excellence than our wealthy people. I am not sure, but the existence of a higher class above them has a favourable effect, by limiting them in some ways. There is much less show of furniture in the houses than with us, though their servants and equipages are in much better keeping. I am not sorry to be detained here for a few days by my illness, to become acquainted with them, and I think your father likes it also, and will find it useful to him. Let me say, while I think of it, how much I was pleased with the great western. That upper saloon with the air passing through it was a great comfort to me. The captain, the servants, the table, are all excellent. Everything on board was as nice as the best hotel, and my gruels and broths beautifully made. One of the stewardesses did more for me than I ever had done by any servant of my own." Your father and Louisa were ill but three or four days, and then your father read Tacitus and talked to the ladies, while Louisa played with the other children. The Adelphi, my first specimen of an English hotel, is perfectly comfortable, and, though an immense establishment, is quiet as a private house. There is none of the bustle of the Astor, and if I ring my bedroom bell it is answered by a woman who attends to me assiduously. The landlord pays us a visit every day to know if we have all we wish." London sunday november first here i am in the mighty heart but before i say one word about it i will go on from wednesday evening with my journal on thursday though still very feeble i dined at greenbank the country seat of mr william rathbone i was unwilling to leave liverpool without sharing with your father some of the hospitalities offered to us and made a great effort to go the place is very beautiful and the house full of comfortable elegance The next morning we started for Birmingham, ninety-seven miles from Liverpool, on our way to London, as I am unable to travel the whole way in a day. On this railway I felt for the first time the superiority of England to our own country. The cars are divided into first, second, and third classes. We took a first-class car, which has all the comforts of a private carriage. Just as we entered Birmingham I observed the finest seat, surrounded by a park-wall and with a very picturesque old church, that I had seen on the way on inquiring of young mr van wart who came to see us in birmingham the nephew of washington irving whose place it was he said it was now called anston hall and was owned by mr watt but it was formerly owned by the bracebridges and was the veritable bracebridge hall and that his uncle had passed his christmas there on arriving here we found our rooms all ready for us at long's hotel kept by mr markwell a wine merchant The house is in New Bond Street, in the very center of movement, at the West End, and Mr. Markwell, full of personal assiduity, which we never see with us. He comes to the carriage himself, gives me his arm to go upstairs, is so much obliged to us for honoring his house, ushers you in to dinner, at least on the first day, and seats you, etc., etc. Do not imagine us in fresh, new-looking rooms as we should be in New York or Philadelphia. No, in London even new things look old but almost everything is old. Our parlor has three windows down to the floor, but it is very dark. The paint is maple-color, and everything is dingy in appearance. The window in my bedroom looks like a horn-lantern, so thick is the smoke, and yet everything is scrupulously clean. On our arrival Boyd, the secretary of legation, soon came, and stayed to dine with us. Our dinner was an excellent soup, the boiled cod garnished with fried smelts, the roast beef, and a fricando with sweetbreads, then a pheasant, and afterwards dessert. This morning Mr. Bates came very early to see us, and then Mr. Joseph Coolidge, who looks very young and handsome, then Mr. Coleman, who also looks very well, Mr. Boyd and a Mr. Haight of New York, and Mr. Gare, the son of Mr. Gare of Liverpool, a pleasing young man. Monday evening. This morning came Mr. Aspinwall, then Captain Warmly, then Dr. Holland, then Mrs. Bates, then Mr. Joseph J. and his sister, then Tom Appleton, Mrs. and Miss Warmly, and Mrs. Franklin Dexter. Dr. Holland came a second time to take me a drive, but Mrs. Bates being with me he took your father. Mrs. Bates took me to do some shopping, and to see about some houses. They are very desirous we should be in their neighborhood, in Portland Place, but I have a fancy myself for the new part of town." I have been so used all my life to see things fresh and clean-looking, that I cannot get accustomed to the London dinge, and some of the finest houses look to me as though I would like to give them a good scouring. Tell Cousin M never to come to England, she would be shocked every minute, with all the grandeur. A new country is cleaner-looking, though it may not be so picturesque. I got your letters when I arrived here, and I wish this may give you but a little pleasure they gave me. Pray never let a steamer come without a token from both of you. WITH LOVE TO GRANDMA AND UNCLE THOMAS, BELIEVE ME, WITH MORE LOVE THAN EVER, ELIZABETH D. BANCROFT. END OF LETTER ONE. READ BY SIBELLA DENTON. ALL LIBRIVOX RECORDINGS ARE IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. FOR MORE INFORMATION, PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG. LETTER TWO OF LETTERS FROM ENGLAND, 1846-1849, to BY ELIZABETH DAVIS BANCROFT. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter to W.D.B. and A.B. London, November third, eighteen forty-six. This day at five, your father had his first interview with Lord Palmerston, who will acquaint the Queen with his arrival. And after she has received him, we shall leave our cards upon all the ministers and corps diplomatique. November fourth, your father had a most agreeable dinner at Lord Holland's. He met there Lord and Lady Palmerston. Lord Morpeth, Lord De Damali, Mr. Harcourt, a son of the Archbishop of York, etc. He took out Lady Holland and Lord Morpeth, Lady Palmerston, the only ladies present. Holland House is surrounded by two hundred acres in the midst of the western part of London, or rather Kensington. Lord Holland has no children, and the family dies with him. They dined in the room in which Addison died." to TO MY SURPRISE, CAME LADY PALMERSTON, WHICH WAS A GREAT COURTESY, AS IT WAS MY PLACE TO MAKE THE FIRST VISIT. SHE IS THE SISTER OF LORD MELBOURNE. LORD de MOLLY HAS ALSO BEEN HERE. TO-DAY I HAVE BEEN DRIVING THROUGH SOME OF THE BEST STREETS IN LONDON, AND MY IDEAS OF ITS EXTENT AND MAGNIFICENCE ARE RISING FAST. THE HOUSES ARE MORE PICTURESQUE THAN OURS, AND SOME OF THEM MOST NOBLE. THE VASTNESS OF A GREAT CAPITAL LIKE THIS CANNOT BURST UPON ONE AT ONCE. ITS EFFECT INCREASES DAILY. The extent of the park, surrounded by mansions which look, some of them, like a whole history in themselves, has to-day quite dazzled my imagination. November fifth, This morning, Thursday, came an invitation to dine with Lord and Lady Palmerston on Saturday. Sir George Gray, another of the ministers, came to see us to-day, and Lord Mahon. Your father and I have been all morning looking at houses, and have nearly concluded upon one in Eaton Square." We find a hotel very expensive and not very comfortable for us as your father is very restive without his books about him mr harcourt also came to see us to-day i mention as many of the names of our visitors as i can recollect as it will give you some idea of the composition of english society this moment a large card in an envelope has been brought to me which runs thus the lord steward has received her majesty's commands to invite mr bancroft to dinner at windsor castle on thursday 12th November, to remain until Friday, 13th. I am glad he will dine there before me, that he may tell me the order of performances. Friday, November 6th. We had to-day a delightful visit from Rogers, the poet, who is now quite old, but with a most interesting countenance. He was full of cordiality, and at parting, as he took my hand, said, Our acquaintance must become friendship. Mr. Harcourt came again and sat an hour with us, and has introduced your father at the Traveler's Club and the Athenaeum Club. To-night came my new lady's maid, Russell. She dresses hair beautifully, but is rather too great a person to suit my fancy. Sunday evening, November 8th. On Friday evening we met at Mrs. Wormsley's a cosy little knot of Americans. The Dexters were staying there, and there were Mr. and Miss Atkinson and Miss Pratt, Mr. and Mrs. Aspinwall, Mr. and Miss J., Mr. and Miss Putnam, Mr. Coleman, Mr. Pickering, etc. Wednesday Evening On Monday we came to our home, preferring it to the hotel, though it is not yet in order for our reception, and we have not yet all our servants. Last evening we dined with Lord Morpeth at his father's house. His family are all out of town, but he remains because of his ministerial duties. Lord Morpeth took me out, and I sat between him and Sir George Gray your father took out lady theresa lewis who is a sister of lord clarendon she was full of intelligence and i like her extremely baron and lady park a distinguished judge lady morgan mr mackintosh doctor and mrs holland sydney smith's daughter and mr and mrs franklin dexter with several others were the party during dinner one gentleman was so very agreeable that i wondered who he could be but as lord palmerston had told me that mr Macaulay was in edinburgh i did not think of him after the ladies left the gentleman, my first question to Mrs. Holland was the name of her neighbor. Why, Mr. Macaulay, was her answer, and I was pleased not to have been disappointed in a person of whom I had heard so much. When the gentleman came in, I was introduced to him, and talked to him, and heard him talk not a little. These persons all came the next day to see us, which gave rise to fresh invitations. This morning we have been driving around to leave cards on the Corps diplomatique, and Mr. Harcourt has taken me all over the Athenaeum club-house, a superb establishment. They have given your father an invitation to the club, a privilege which is sometimes sought for years,' Mr. Harcourt says. "'Have I not needed all my energies? We have been here just a fortnight, and I came so ill that I could hardly walk. We are now at housekeeping, and I am in the full career in London society. They told me I should see no one until spring, but, you see, we dine out or go out in the evening almost every day.' for the gratification of s d or aunt i who may wonder how i get along in dress matters going out as i did in my plain black dress i will tell you that mrs murray the queen's dressmaker made me as soon as i found these calls and invitations pouring in two dresses one of black velvet very low with short sleeves and another of very rich black watered silk with drapery of black tulle on the corsage and sleeves I have fitted myself with several pretty little head-dresses, some in silver, some with plumes, but all white, and I find my velvet and silk suit all occasions. I do not like dining with bare arms and neck, but I must. Tuesday, November 17th. Last evening we passed at the Earl of Auckland's, the head of the Admiralty. The party was at the Admiralty, where there is a beautiful residence for the First Lord. I had a long talk with Lord Morpeth last evening about Mrs. Summer, and told him of his nomination. He has a strong regard for him. Not a moment have I had to a London lion. I have driven past Westminster, but I have not been in it. I have seen nothing of London but what came in my way in returning visits. End of letter two, read by Cybella Denton. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org. Letter three of Letters from England, 1846 to 1849, by Elizabeth Davis Bancroft, read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter to I.P.D., London, November seventeenth, eighteen 1846. My dear Uncle, I cannot help refreshing the remembrance of me with you and dear auntie, by addressing a separate letter to you. Yesterday we hailed with delight our letters from home. One feels in a foreign land the absence of common sympathies and interests, which always surround us in any part of our own country. And yet nothing can exceed the kindness with which we have been received here. Last evening I went to my first great English dinner, and it was a most agreeable one. It seems a little odd to a Republican woman to find herself in right of her country, taking precedence of marchionesses, but one soon gets used to all things. We sat down to dinner at eight, and got through about ten. When the ladies rose, I found I was expected to go first. After dinner other guests were invited, and to the first person who came in, about half-past ten, Lady Palmerston said, Oh, thank you for coming so early. This was Lady Tankerville of the old French family of de Gramont, and niece to Prince Polignac. The next was Lady Emily de Burg, the daughter of the Marchioness of Clanricarde, a beautiful girl of seventeen. She is very lovely, wears a Grecian braid round her head like a coronet, and always sits by her mother, which would not suit our young girls. Then came Lord and Lady Ashley, Lord Ebrington, and so many titled persons that I cannot remember half. The dinner is much the same as ours in all its modes of serving, but they have soles and turbot instead of our fishes, and their pheasants are not our pheasants, or their partridges our partridges. Neither have we so many footmen with liveries of all colors, or so much gold and silver plate. The next morning Mr. Bancroft breakfasted with Dr. Holland to meet the Marquis of Lansdowne alone. Thursday he went down to Windsor to dine with the Queen. He took out to dinner the Queen's mother, the Duchess of Kent, the Queen going with the Prince of Saxe-Weimar, who was paying a visit at the castle. He talked German to the Duchess during dinner, which I suspect she liked, for the Queen spoke of it to him afterwards, and Lord Palmerston told me that the Duchess said he spoke very pure German. While he was dining at Windsor I went to a party all alone at the Countess Grey's, which I thought required some courage. Of all the persons I see here, the Marquis of Lansdowne excites the most lively regard. His countenance and manners are full of benevolence, and I think he understands America better than any one else of the high aristocracy. I told him I was born at Plymouth, and was as proud of my pure Anglo-Saxon pilgrim descent as if it were traced from a line of Norman conquerors. Nearly all the ministers and their wives came to see us immediately, without waiting for us to make the first visit, which is the rule, and almost every person whom we have met in society, which certainly indicates an amiable feeling toward our country." we could not well have received more courtesy than we have done, and it has been extended freely and immediately, without waiting for the forms of etiquette. Pray say to Mr. Everett how often we hear persons speak of him, and with highest regard. I feel as if we were reaping some of the fruits of his sowing. Mr. Bancroft sends you a pack of cards, one of the two identical packs with which the Queen played patience the evening he was at Windsor. They were the perquisite of a page who brought them to him." He was much pleased with the Queen, and thought her much prettier than any representation of her which we have seen, and with a very sweet expression. Lady Holland had been staying two or three days at Windsor, and was to leave the next morning. When the Queen took leave of her at night, she kissed her quite in my Virginia fashion. "'Dear Uncle, how much more your niece would have written to-day, if it were not packet-day, I cannot say. I shall send you some newspapers and a pack of cards which I saw in the Queen's hands, The American minister and Mrs. Bancroft have since played a game of piquet with them. The queen's hands were as clean as her smile was gracious. Best regards to the judge and Aunt Isaac. Yours most truly, George Bancroft. End of Letter 3. Read by Cybella Denton. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org. Letter 4 of Letters from England 1846 to 1849 by Elizabeth Davis Bancroft into the public domain letter to wdb and ab london november 29 1846 after a long interval i find again a quiet sunday evening to resume my journal to you on monday we dined at lord john russell's and met many of the persons we have met before and the duchess of inverness the widow of the Duke of Sussex. On Tuesday we dined at Dr. Holland's. His wife and daughter are charming, and then we met, besides, Lady Charlotte Lindsay, the only surviving child of Lord North, Mr. and Mrs. Millman, the author of The Fall of Jerusalem, and Mr. Macaulay. Yesterday I went to return the visit of the Millmans, and found that the entrance to their house, he being a prebend of Westminster Abbey, was actually in the cloisters of the Abbey. They were not at home, but I took my footman and wandered at leisure through the cloisters, treading at every step on the tomb of some old abbot, with dates of eleven-sixty and thereabouts. Nothing could be more delightful than London is now, if I only had a little more physical vigor to enjoy it. We see everybody more frequently, and know them better than in the full season, and we have some of the best specimens of English society, too, here just now as the whig ministry brings a good deal of the ability of the aristocracy to its aid the subjects of conversation among women are more general than with us and they are much more cultivated than our women as a body not our blues they never sew or attend as we do to domestic affairs and so live for social life and understand it better End of letter four read by Sibela denton all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information, please visit LibriVox.org. Letter five of Letters from England, 1846 to 1849, by Elizabeth Davis Bancroft, read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter to Mrs. Polk, London, December 2, 1846. My dear Mrs. Polk. You told me, when I parted from you at Washington, that you would like to get from me occasionally some accounts of my experiences in English society. I thought at that time we should see very little of it until the spring, but contrary to my expectation, we have been out almost every day since our arrival. We made our debut in London on the first day of November, the suicidal month, you know, in the midst of an orange-colored fog, in which you could not see your hand before you. The prospect for the winter seemed, I must say, rather triste, but the next day the fog cleared off, people came constantly to see us, and we had agreeable invitations for every day, and London put on a new aspect. Our first dinner was at Lord Palmerston's, where we met what the newspapers call a distinguished circle. The Marquis of Lansdowne, Lord and Lady John Russell, Marquis and Marchioness of Clanricard, Canning's daughter, Earl and Countess Gray, Sir George and Lady Grey, etc., etc. I was taken out by Lord Palmerston, with Lord Grey on the other side, and found the whole thing very like one of our Washington dinners, and I was quite as much at my ease, and they seemed made of the same materials as our cabinet at home. I have since dined at Lord Morpeth's, Lord John Russell's, Lord Mahon's, Dr. Holland's, Baron Parks, the Prussian Ministers, and to-day we dine with the Duchess of Inverness, the widow of the Duke of Sussex, to-morrow with mr milman a prebend of westminster and a distinguished man of letters we have been at a great many soirees at lady palmerston's lady grey's lord auckland's lady lewis's etc etc and now having given you some idea whom we are seeing here you will wish to know how i like them and how they differ from our own people at the smaller dinners and soirees at this season i cannot of course receive a full impression of english society but certainly these persons now in town are charming people their manners are perfectly simple and i entirely forget except when their historic names fall upon my ear that i am with the proud aristocracy of england all the persons whose names i have mentioned to you give one a decided impression not only of ability and agreeable manners but of excellence and the domestic virtues the furniture and houses too are less splendid and ostentatious than those of our large cities though they have more plate and liveried servants. The forms of society and the standard of dress, too, are very like ours, except that a duchess or countess has more hereditary point lace and diamonds. The general style of dress, perhaps, is not so tasteful, so simply elegant as ours. Upon the whole I think more highly of our own country, I mean from a social point of view alone, than before I came abroad there is less superiority over us in manners and all the social arts than i could have believed possible in a country where a large and wealthy class have been set apart from time immemorial to create as it were a social standard of high refinement the chief difference that i perceive is this in our country the position of everybody is undefined and rests altogether upon public opinion this leads sometimes to a little assumption and pretension of manner which the highest class here, whose claims are always allowed by all about them, are never tempted to put on. From this results an extreme simplicity of manner, like that of a family circle among us. What I have said, however, applies less to the South than to the large cities of the North, with which I am most familiar at home. I hope our memory will not be completely effaced in Washington, for we cling to our friends there with strong interest present my respectful regards to the president and my love to mrs walker and mrs rucker to the masons also and our old colleagues all and pray lay your royal commands upon somebody to write me i long to know what is going on in washington the pleasantons promise to do so and any pain to whom and to mrs madison give also my best love believe me yours with the highest regard e d Bancroft. end of letter five read by Sibella denton All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org. Letter 6 of Letters from England, 1846 to 1849, by Elizabeth Davis Bancroft. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter. Second December. Yesterday we dined at the Prussian minister's, Chevalier Bunsen's, He met your father in Rome twenty years since, and has received us with great enthusiasm. Yesterday at dinner he actually rose in his seat, and made quite a speech welcoming him to England as historian, old friend, etc., and ended by offering his health, which your father replied to shortly in a few words. Imagine such an outbreak upon routine at a dinner in England. Nobody could have done it but one of German blood, but I dare say the Everetts who know him could imagine it all. End of Letter 6 Read by Sibella Denton. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, please visit org Letter Seven of Letters from England, 1846 to 1849, by Elizabeth Davis Bancroft. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter to W.D.B. and A.B., London, December nineteenth, eighteen 1846. "'My dear sons, yesterday we dined at MacReady's, and met quite a new, and to us a most agreeable circle. There was Carlyle, who talked all dinner-time in his broad scotch, in the most intaminable way. He is full of wit, and happened to get upon James I, on which topic he was superb. Then there was Babbage, the great mathematician, von Blanc, the editor of the Examiner, etc. The day before we dined at Mr. Frederick Eliot's with a small party of eight—' of whom lady morgan was one and also a brother of lord normanby's whom i liked very much lady morgan who had not hitherto much pleased me came out in this small circle with all her irish wit and humour and gave me quite new notions of her talent she made me laugh till i cried on saturday we dined at sir Roderick murchison's the president of the geological society very great in the scientific way we have struck up a great friendship with Miss Murray, the Queen's maid of honor, who paid me a visit of three hours to-day, in the midst of which came in Colonel Estcourt, whom I was delighted to see, as you may suppose. Miss Murray is to me a very interesting person, though a great talker, convenient fault to a stranger. She is connected with half the noble families in England, is the granddaughter of the Duchess of Athol, who governed the Isle of Man as a queen, and the descendant of Scots Countess of Derby though sprung of such tory blood and a maid of honor she thinks freely upon all subjects religion politics and persons she decides upon for herself and has as many benevolent schemes as old Madam jackson i returned the visit of mr and mrs leslie the painter this week and saw the picture he is now painting for the vice chancellor it is a sketch of children a boy driving his two sisters as horses one of the little girls is very like Susy her size, hair, and complexion. How I longed to be rich enough to order a copy, but his pictures cost a fortune. I also paid a visit this week to the Duchess of Inverness, whom I found in the prettiest, coziest morning boudoir, looking on to the gardens of the palace. In short, I do, or see, every hour, something that, if I were a traveller only, I could make quite a story of. End of Letter 7 Read by Sibella Denton All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org. Thank you for listening to this episode of Queen Bee, The Life of Queen Victoria. Remember, if you would like to support this podcast, you can look in the show description notes to find a link.